Welcome to In The Know, a podcast hosted by Caitlin Dager and Samara Dalmenico, where we take a deep dive into the boring stuff to bridge the gap between the law and young people. In other words, giving you your legally blonde moment. I object. Hello and welcome to episode three. Today we go through all things US election and we actually have a really special guest on the pod with us today, Benji Renton, an American journalist who is going to take us through all the things you don't understand about the election. But first, Caitlin, how was your week? My week was good. It was filled with lots of brunches, as I'm sure many Melburnians Mm -hmm. have been filling their recent days with. Mm -hmm. The weather's been gorgeous. I had a really cute picnic on Cup Day, which was really nice. Yeah, fantastic. Otherwise, the second half of my week has been a blur of waking up and looking at the US election and Nevada (laughs) not giving me their results and laughing at various memes. But otherwise, yeah, it's been really good. How about yours, Samara? Well... This week, I put a hole in my wall <laughs> filming a TikTok with my butt. So if that doesn't sum it up, I don't think anything will. Only you would. Yeah. Before we get into the episode, just a quick disclaimer. In the No podcast and affiliated content are for information purposes only and should not be construed as legal advice on any matter. For the full disclaimer and further information, please refer to our show notes. Anyway, let's move on to our favorite segment, the fun fact segment. Hit me. So I feel like this is getting competitive now after I really upped it last week. Yeah. Um, And so, I mean, we'll leave it to our listeners to decide which fun fact is better. We'll pop a poll. Yeah, we'll put a poll. They love the Insta polls. So my fun fact is a landmark decision has been heard in an Alice Springs local court. And it was the first time a police officer will ever stand trial for murder over an Indigenous death in custody in Australia. Along the similar unprecedented lines I have picked out from the news this week, a 65-year-old Melbourne man has been the first person in Australia to be charged under foreign interference laws. This offence carries a potential jail term of 10 years, but at this time, the exact nature of his offences isn't known. The laws, interestingly enough, were quite controversial when they came in back in 2018 so it'll be interesting to see where this one goes might have to be on the next fun fact section when a decision's made hey yeah we'll keep keep an eye on it thank you very much Yay! all right back to benji so we mentioned he was a journalist what we didn't mention is his incredible resume mm. which includes being the digital director at middleborough college and he is currently fascinatingly so researching the epidemiology and reporting on COVID-19 and its effect on higher education in the US. Yeah, Benji also recently completed an intern position at the National Committee on US-China Relations and is in the final stages of his Bachelor of Arts International and Global Studies East Asia at Middlebury College. That's a bit of a mouthful. Yeah, he definitely has an impressive resume. We're very grateful to have him on the pod. We spoke to Benji at length about the election, America's bizarre voting process, and how it differs to what we have here. And we really went into depth 
as to what's going on over in the US from someone who is really in the midst of, I guess, history in the making. Yeah, it was truly incredible. And we're so, so grateful to have someone as insightful, well-spoken and fun on the pod. And we really, really hope that you enjoy this interview as much as we enjoyed taking it. So uh, without further ado, here is Benji. Well, welcome, Benji. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. How are you feeling? Good. It's It's been a big day with the um, results of the election finally coming out for, for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. But um, yeah, I'm feeling good. Very good. For our listeners who will be listening to this in a couple of days' time, just this morning in Australia, we woke up to finding out that Biden had won the election, which is very exciting for us down here, as I'm sure it is over in America. Mm-hmm. And you can probably hear the other accent we have on the line today. So we have a special guest, Benji, who um, I met quite a few years ago now when I went and studied in America for a couple of months. And he's here to talk to us about the election and how we ended up where we are now, I guess. Yeah. So I think our first question is, you guys have a really different voting system to us. It is a little bit wild, to be honest, when we think about it. So what are the different ways to vote? Yeah, and to be honest, I'm sorry I hadn't done my, my research completely and, and you know understand what, what you guys have over there. But obviously voting in person has always been has always been a thing and, and people you know do vote in person. But I think the pandemic has brought out these ways of voting that we, we've seen before, but not in these numbers. And that is A, early voting. So people come in to their polling place a couple weeks before the election and vote mm. uh, and be absentee or, or mail-in voting, which you get mailed a ballot. Oftentimes you have to request it. There was a handful of states this year, Vermont being one of them, the state that I'm in now and, and that I vote here, that mailed all of their voters a ballot. And so you can vote by mail. If you didn't want to, you could you just bring the ballot to your your place on election day and you can vote there as well. But voting by mail is obviously a new thing for a lot of people. People are used to going to the polls on election day. And this year, many of them chose to vote by mail and and vote by mail tends to also lean democratic. And so I think that definitely helped a, a Biden victory in that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so here in Australia, we it's mandatory voting. So you head down to the polls on election day, you grab your sausage, you cast your vote and you move on with your day. Whereas in America, it's not mandatory. Can you explain that? Yeah. And yeah, I, I did know Australia has mandatory voting. And, and I, I think that, to be honest, I think something like that would not be possible, at, at least at this stage in America. But but I, I am an advocate of a policy like that. Um, yeah. We usually have turnout. I'm I'm blanking on the numbers, but but this year was the highest turnout ever, or not ever in in I think a hundred or so years. Um, it's not it's not mandatory to vote here, and and many people choose not to vote. And I think mm. in 2016, a lot of people chose not to vote because they thought, oh, well, Hillary Clinton was going to win this. Mm. Year, you know? this was in the bag and and all of that. And I think those people who didn't vote were cost a candidate like Clinton, you know, the presidency. Yeah. Just on that, firstly, I just want to take you back to when you said in Vermont, you all got sent out your ballot. And so does that mean each individual person gets one ballot? Because you said then you can take that ballot to like an election station and vote there. Like, is that kind of your one piece of paper and you kind of use it or lose it type of thing? 
So in terms of people who, you know, we all got mailed one, if you want to vote in person, you just have to take it so they can scrap it. I think you get a new one in person. It's not required to take it. Some people just, they just showed up at the polling place and you have to sign a little form saying that you didn't vote. You know, obviously voting twice is is voter fraud and is 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 a felony. I would not advocate for it at all. And that's why we have, you know, systems to protect against something like that but but people i think the at least the vast majority this year we were shocked at the early voting turnout whether that was by mail or in person or or anything like that the voter turnout in the in many states actually exceeded the total turnout in 2016 and so we had 100 million americans who voted before election day which we've never seen before yeah, wow. clearly people are feeling very strongly, which um, we'll get yeah. we'll get to that a bit later. Yeah, um, and then the second thing is you mentioned the Clinton Trump surprise from 2016. So my understanding is that Clinton won the popular vote, but then Trump still won the the presidency. Can you just talk us through the difference between that electoral college voting and popular voting distinction? Yeah. yeah. Um, so the Electoral College is, is a uniquely American thing for, for better or for worse. Mm-hmm. And I think um, some people have advocated to to eliminate it. I don't think that's possible, at least in the, in the stage that we are now. Essentially, every state is proportion has a certain amount of Electoral College votes. Mm-hmm. It's equal to the number of senators you have, which every state gets two senators, and then the number of representatives in Congress you have, which is proportional according to your population. So every mm-hmm. 10 years, depending on the census, you, the electoral college vote for each state can change. So you have a state like Vermont or Alaska, which are small states, which have three electoral college votes. And then Florida has 29, Pennsylvania has 20. And it's, so in total, there are 538 electoral college votes. Yeah, right. A candidate has to get 270 of them to win. And that's where you get that magical 270 number. And a candidate will win a state if they win the majority of, of votes in a state. And, and so, you know, yeah, Biden, as of now, is leading in the popular vote by, by four or so million. But that's great. But it doesn't matter unless he won the Electoral College vote, which, which he did. And so you get these, you know, things like swing states, which are, uh, there are a lot of states in the U.S. that are vari- reliably Democratic. California, New York, a lot of states that are reliably Republican. Texas, although this year Texas was a bit of a more of a toss-up than, than usual, you you know you have Mississippi, a lot of those those states in the South, and then you have states like Florida, Ohio, now Arizona, which really can go either way, and it, and it's certainly come down to the, the the last couple ballots to really see what you know where the vote went. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's super interesting. We'll just take you back a second. And you did mention that each state has a different amount of points that it's worth. So the candidates that you get. Why is that? Is it based on population, state size? Yeah, it's based on population. And it it just sets up all these kind of weird dynamics because a voter in Wyoming, for example, has their vote technically has more power than a voter in California just because there are less of them. And so that vote has more power. Uh, and it sets up those weird, you know, for example, especially, you know, myself as a, as a college student, sometimes the school that you go to, so as a college student, you can vote in the state that your school is in. You're considered a legal resident in most cases. And so some students who may be going into a, 
a state where their vote matters more for school will end up voting there or they may be voting at home. So we had a lot of people, to be honest, Vermont doesn't matter that much because it's it's always going to be Democratic. So, you know, we have a lot of students from Florida, from other places who are voting at home because for them, their vote matters more somewhere else. And so the concept of like, you know, your vote matters differently based on where you are in the U.S. is definitely a, a strange one for people who haven't really experienced the system. Yeah, it's yeah, quite bizarre. bizarre. <laughs> I can't, it makes me think like voting is like a strategic game. Like yeah. I like when I'm thinking about a U.S. election, I think poker. When I think about an Australian election, I think, I don't know, like a BuzzFeed feed quiz. Like, yeah. <laughs> like mine matters as much as the person next to me, yeah. kind of. I mean, that might be a naive yeah, view of a little it. Bit. But yeah, it does. It seems really, really complicated as well. And then, you know, just one thing, and, and that kind of determines where a candidate, for example, would go campaigning because a candidate's not going to come to New York. A candidate's not going to come to Vermont because it doesn't matter for them. They know they're going, or, you know, depending on the, the party of the candidate, but they know they're going to win a certain vote from there. So that's yeah. why, you know, you see money and candidates pour into Pennsylvania or, or other other states like that. Mm-hmm. So do you think, would a Democratic kind of candidate go into a highly Republican state and try to, to win votes there? Or is it really like swing state focused? It's a good question. And to be honest, I think what we've considered swing states has shifted over the past few years and especially now. So yeah, I would, I would say it's possible, you know, even like uh, we were getting early results that a state like Texas, which has always been a Republican state for years was showing signs that it could be democratic. And so Kamala Harris went to Texas and, and there was some campaigning over there and and that's never been seen before, but we were just getting, you know, kind of results. Um, It it never ended up flipping Democrat, but, but it's, it's definitely possible for, for candidates to do something like that. Mm. Um, And then just on candidates, I know you've mentioned and I get the impression that going around campaigning is a really, really big part of, I guess, the whole election process and kind of getting your name out there. And I would Mm. say it's probably not really the same here in Australia in terms of the level of campaigning. I mean, we have ads and things like that, but nothing like the rallies. I've never really been to a huge rally in the same way or, yeah, really highly publicised around the media. Is it that... America is more focused on kind of voting for the individual, like for the, for the president, or is it still really party-based voting? Yeah, no, that's definitely a really good question. And I think it's both. I think there are a lot of people in this country who are set on a party. Um, mm-hmm. In many states, you register as part of a party to vote. Um, in certain elections, so you can register as Democrat, register as Republican. Some states, you don't have to. And, and so I think, you know, when you think of people who you know vote for Trump, for example, I think there are a lot of people who are lifelong Republicans. And, you know, they support Trump because he's the Republican nominee for president. Um, And then I think there are a lot of people who support the candidate based on the individual, you know, who they are. And I think this race especially has a huge focus on the character of of Mm. Joe Biden versus versus Trump. Um, And, and, you know, just in terms of the campaigning process, like, you know, rally, obviously, you know, this was before pandemic days, yeah, yeah. rallies during a pandemic, and that's a whole nother issue. But, <laughs> but yeah, you know, the whole concept of campaigning is this huge thing that often takes years. I mean, uh, you know, can, the Biden campaign has been, I think, April 2019, he launched it. And now it's November 20. So, you know, it's about 18 months of, of all of this following someone on the trail. I got to go to a Bernie Sanders rally in March. <laughs> 
um, back when he was still running. This was on Super Tuesday, um, which was, so we have primaries before. So in August, the, the conventions for each party will choose a nominee to advance the general election. Um, but before then, there's a set of primaries in each state to determine how you know the majority of the states would you know, if they vote for a specific candidate from the party, they would become that party's nominee. So back a couple months ago, we had like 30 people running for the Democratic nomination for president. Um, and Bernie Sanders was one of them. And, and so Super Tuesday is a big day because it's when the most states have their primary elections. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he did this giant rally. And so there's a lot of those kinds of events you know, whether it's door knocking or what we call phone banking. I don't know if you guys have that, um, which is, you know, volunteers, you know, getting on the phone, calling voters and saying, hey, you know, will you support this person kind of thing? Right. Okay. And so there's a lot of different things like that. And it's all just a giant game of strategy, basically. Yeah, yeah it seems... Yeah, very almost sensationalized. It, it sounds. It's a really big thing over there. Mm-hmm, Even like calling a day Super Tuesday. Yeah. Oh, I don't think we would ever like the highlight of an Australian's day going down to vote is getting like well, Samara mentioned getting a sausage, which is like our version of kind of like a hot dog. So it's a white piece of bread with a sausage yeah, on it, basically, and that's that's the highlight of your voting day, like going yeah. down to your local. It's a bit of a meme. People always say they're just going to vote to get the sausage. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Does everyone get a sausage, or is that like it's just like a tradition kind of thing? Oh, you. Buy it's it. a tradition. Oh, okay. You buy it. <laughs> uh, I we, think you we buy it. Stickers. We get stickers when we vote, but but that's obviously not as exciting. <laughs> yeah, not not quite the same. Um, you mentioned it before about COVID and how this election has been completely changed. Going into a Biden government, how do you think the world is going to go with COVID? What's he going to do? How's he going to come into such a shambled government? And I think I'm just to add to that question. I know you've done quite a lot of work around Mm. COVID and um, how it plays out, the epidemiology. So if you want to talk to that a bit, I think everyone would be very interested. Super interested. Yeah, no, definitely. So, so you know, just quick backstory on myself. I, I was studying abroad in China when this happened in January. Oh, wow. uh, and we started, you know, getting news of this. And I, I came back to the US because I had to leave the country. It just really wasn't sustainable for us to stay there. And I was in the country in, in on a college campus here in March where we all had to send our students home. And we went, you know, in early spring, we went to this sort of lockdown period our version of a lockdown in America is nothing <laughs> compared to, you know, the strict things that you guys have, <laughs> other countries have. And, uh, you know, there's an argument to be made that that would have been more effective. But we're getting into a, you know, and I've been doing a lot of research on both nationally as well as what we see in, in colleges and universities across uh, across the U.S., we're getting into a point, unfortunately, especially this week and, and in the couple of weeks that this is, you know, the virus is out of control, completely out of control in the country. Uh, and so, A, we have to get through the next 75 days when Trump, I don't think, will be focused on the virus at all. Not that he yeah. has been too much in the first place. But, but um, you know, I, I think there's some initial talk of, of a transition team basically hoping to try and get involved with the response, you know, in the, before January 20th when the, when the next president takes office. Um, but when Biden does show up, there's a couple issues. You, know, you have to deal with the virus. There's a vaccine that will potentially be on the horizon and, and you have to do distribution of that. Um, you have to recruit the best experts. And, and so far, he's he, he's scheduled to announce a task force on Monday. 
which includes, you know, some of, you know, former U.S. Surgeon General, a, co- a couple of, you know, really, really talented, you know, medical people. But there's definitely a lot to do. And, and really, you know, I think the country has to realize that they have to do their part, because I think the, the, the hard part for Biden is to get he needs to get people who didn't support him on the side of, you know, supporting him, especially through COVID. Yeah. COVID's unfortunately become a really politicized thing mm. half the country who doesn't believe it's a thing and then you have half mm. the country who's very very cautious about it and, and how do you unite those people and it's shocking to me I, I you know I really thought that you know areas which were hit quite you know quite hard with the virus actually ended up turning out more support for Trump than before and, and so it's it was shocking to me that you know, the virus, at least on a lot of the hardcore Trump voters, didn't have as much of an effect. Mm, yeah, wow. And just on that, you talked about kind of the country being very divided. And I guess we, we've all got a sense of that with how long we've all been waiting to finally work out who is the next president-elect. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and do you think with Biden moving into the presidency, the issue with having a Republican majority Senate and a Democratic president is going to be a big issue with kind of those big initiatives moving forward? Mm. Or does he have enough power as president and have those kind of discretionary powers to move forward sort of as an emergency response rather than a strict kind of legal implementation? Yeah, it's a yeah, it's a good question. I don't it, it's it's interesting because, you know, we've become accustomed to in the past four years, Trump governing by sort of executive order and executive mm. action he's taken as president, you know, we really, I don't think we knew the power of the presidency before you had someone like Trump take office. There's, there's a lot of, the government's not supposed to work like this, but there are a lot of ways you can kind of make it work towards your favor. And, 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 you know, I think Republican majority in the Senate is, is interesting, A, because there's a possibility that come January, the Democrats will have majority. And the only reason why is because two elections for Senate in Georgia that have been, they've gone to a, a runoff uh, in Jan- in early January. Basically, the top two candidates, neither of them received uh, 50% of the vote. And so you go on to this runoff with two of them. Both of them have one Democrat, one Republican. And so if both of them win the election, you get a 50-50 Senate, you know, 50 Democrats, 50 Republicans. Right. In that case, the vice president, which is a Democrat, would cast all the deciding votes. So there's a possibility of a Democratic majority of the Senate. I, I don't know how possible it is, but but yeah, I think there will hopefully be more kind of collaboration. And, and I think Biden being a former senator, I, I think there will be more collaboration than there has been before in, in the Senate. Mm. I think from an Australian perspective, we were all very surprised initially, as I'm sure you were, to see someone who had no political experience get into a role like president. So I think it's interesting that you say Biden with that backing is going to come in and and do it differently because, you know, it's just shocking to think that, you know, you can just be a good businessman and, and get to the top. I mean, questionable about his businessman abilities. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're, we're all very shocked about something like that, too, that, you know, someone with no prior, I mean, every president before Trump has had either has been a governor, has been a senator, representative. Um, when you get into the 50s, you had like allied commanders in the military, you know, yeah. they've had experience for that. And I think in 2016, people wanted a change for better or for mm-hmm. worse. There was this there was this move that, you know, we were unsatisfied with the way some people were unsatisfied with the way that Obama had governed for eight years. 
they didn't see Clinton as this appealing, necessarily appealing candidate. They were kind of like, well, this is the best that, you know, the Democrats can do. Uh, and so you get to this point where, where I think a lot of people were motivated to vote for Trump because he was the new guy. He was the change. Yeah. He was going to, you know, drain the swamp, as he said. He he didn't. He made it swampier than than before. <laughs> <laughs> But but, you know, there was this motion for change. And, and I think now we need you know, we have this thing for change, but but a different you know, we've realized what four years of this is and we didn't want another four years of it. And so we decided to to do something about it. And I think there to people's credit, there was a lot of motion in the Democratic Party to say, hey, you know, Joe may not have been your first choice. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we need to all unite around him. So all the 24 people or whatever it was who ran for president you know, we're all backing him. And then there were a couple people, especially in, in recent weeks and months, uh, who were from the Republican Party, even serving in the Trump White House and saying, I can't support this guy. You know, this guy has to go and I'm supporting Joe Biden. And I think all that really helped. Yeah, you must feel incredibly proud. of your Yeah. And, and, you know, regardless of, you know, what political party you support, obviously, the election of, of Kamala Harris is a big deal to be the first Woman yeah, of yeah. to be the first woman of color to be the first, you know, her family's from India. Um, so there's there's all kinds of firsts in that, and I, and I think you know that's just a, a huge accomplishment. You know, I know the nation was definitely let down in in 2016 to not have a woman elected to the presidency, yeah. uh, and I, you know I hope in in future years that we'll be you know willing to to the nation w- would be ready for a, a woman president mm-hmm. in that way. Um, but yeah, no, I think it's just definitely a historic, you know, Biden's run for president. This is his third time running for president. Ran in like, I think it was 92. He ran in 08. And and to be honest, no one ever remembers when people run for president, but, but don't win the presidency. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, you know, yeah, you know, Biden ran, um, but no, it's definitely a really historic, you know, day, the longest, one of the longest elections in history, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, taking three, four days to really resolve something like that is, is um, yeah, no, it was a huge deal. It's very fitting for 2020, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just pile it all up. <laughs> yeah. Um, and just in kind of last couple of questions to sum it up, um, I know Trump has called and has been dismissed for a couple of recounts in a variety of states. Mm. Do you think while they continue to kind of finalize this, the next, I don't know, however many weeks that he has left to to kind of argue and dispute, do you think that's mm. that's what we'll see with him kind of ending his presidency or...? Yeah, I mean, I think he will never concede in the way that other presidents have. And I think it, it's also like brought us to realize like, a lot of the things that happen between presidents are just norms and have never actually been like codified as laws, really. Like, yeah. you don't have to make a concession speech, but every president has because it's the right mm-hmm. thing to do. Like, you don't have to invite the president, the new president elect over, but but most, you know, presidents have. Um, I, recounts are interesting, A, because they're really expensive. So, um, in a state like Wisconsin, you know, the Trump campaign is calling for a recount because the margin is not within. <laughs> what would trigger an automatic recount. Uh, and, and the weird part about the U.S. is every state has their own laws for elections. Uh, yeah. And so, uh, you know, the recount margin in Pennsylvania, I think, is 0.5%. The recount margin, you know, there's a couple of different margins. Um, Wisconsin, you know, he by, defeated Trump by, by a fair margin that doesn't trigger an automatic recount. The Trump campaign would have to pay $3 million to do a recount. Um, yeah. 
do they want to do that? I don't know. Well, you, you know, if they're going to have a case, and uh, you know, then there's also the the case of voter fraud that he alleges. There's no evidence now, currently, of voter fraud, and and you know they're going to try to find it, but I don't think they will. I mean, you know, I think we can let the court go through, we can let the fraud, you know, allegations go through, but I but I don't think it will change anything really. It'll be um interesting to see what the next four years and hopefully beyond will have. Um, it'll be interesting to see. I think even when you were talking before, my first thought about having like a Republican Senate and a Democratic president, I was like, the media is going to go crazy. Nothing's going to happen. Mm-hmm. It's going to be so like it's, it's just going to explode. Um, and then you brought out up the fact that you know Biden has a history and he has skills for the role, and so collaboration is what humans and sophisticated people and people in power we expect to do so I think it will be really interesting to kind of get that breath of fresh air with um someone coming in who's not trying to polarize everyone but trying to move forward for the for the whole country Mm. yeah definitely well I think that's where we'll wrap up unless you have anything else you want to add yeah no I hope that you know people really just understand kind of what a, the crazy way which we do things here in America, to <laughs> in the present, but also, you know, what a, a deal, you know, I think everyone's going to remember where they were today and, and something like that. Yeah. Um, a lot of people remember where they were in 16. And I think that people will remember where they were when this happened in, in 2020. Yeah, a lot been, of historic stuff is going on, isn't it? Yeah, isn't it? Definitely, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It's been absolutely fascinating talking to you. Yeah, thank you so much for um, taking some time on, on the day of celebrations to come and talk to us. I'm sure everyone will be very appreciative. Thank you so much. And yeah, definitely looking forward to, to hearing it. Yay! If you were as obsessed with the things that Benji had to say as we were, please, please, please let us know. Slide into our DMs, chuck us an email. This is something super different for us. And if it's something that you like, we'd love to bring you more of them. So let us know. Thanks for listening. Bye. We are a tiny independent podcast recording this remotely on the floor of our bedrooms. Your support in getting our names out there is what's gonna keep us going. We would love it if you could subscribe on your favorite pod streaming app, leave us a review and follow us on Instagram at in the know underscore podcast. See you later. Thanks for listening. Thanks.